So I um, am Mark Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Veritas Church in Iowa City, and it's so good to be here with you guys. Um, I thought about um, bringing a picture for my family, but that would have required planning ahead. And uh, one thing you need to know about me is um, I love the moment. And so I'm a spontaneous person. I live in the moment. And I would have a picture for you, but you could probably find one on Facebook or something like that. But I've got uh, my wife's awesome. We have six kids, um, ages 17 on down to six. And one of, one of the stories I want to tell, just to kick us off here tonight, is um, one of my son's actually acquired this, this skill, and he's very skilled with his, with his hands, and so he got into skill toys. So I don't know if like Bali Song and Beglery and all of these, these like hand skill toys, right? So, so he got really good at it, and, and um, just like all kids now can like find their niche, you know? There's like whole communities of people that do uh, ballet songs, flipping knives and, and beglery and stuff like that, and fidget spinners, all those things. Fidget spinners, not really a skill toy, but he got really into this stuff. And, and so I got a call uh, from, uh, from a guy and it's a random call. My son's like, yeah, this guy's gonna call you because like this toy company wants to sponsor me. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so I get this call and the guy's like, hey, this is so-and-so from, um, from LA and just wondered if you could come to the uh, VidCon conference. This is like VidCon 2017. Our toy company's gonna be there and we wanna like your son to, to be there to like demo our toys, our skill toys and stuff. We're releasing this new thing. I'm like, oh, this is a real thing. And he's like, yeah, totally. So we ended up going out to this um, YouTube's annual convention. I want you to imagine me and like 25,000 13-year-old girls um, screaming as their favorite YouTube artists were like, there's PewDiePie, ah! you know, and like this whole like thousands of screaming 12 and 13-year-old girls would like follow this person and Jake Paul, Logan Paul, you know, screaming. And, and I've never seen so many finger hearts and selfie sticks. And our, we were like right by the Instagram booth. And so, I mean, it was just, it was hilarious. And I was just um, there with all of these people. And one of the things uh, that I was so fascinated by is what YouTube has created. They have not just created a community. They have created a million micro-communities. Everybody can find their people on YouTube. It's like, I have this very specific interest and you can find like a tribe of people who all share that same interest. Like you name it, we've got a community for you. And I'm just watching all of this, these micro communities like coming together at this big convention and there's the dancers and the gamers and the cross-dressers and the homeschoolers and all these different people that are there. It was crazy, it was cool. It was really cool. And what I saw at the VidCon conference was one of the greatest human needs on display. It's the need to belong. People are desperate to find their tribe, to find their people, to find their community. And tonight, what we're talking about is that God has a community. And tonight, we're talking about God's vision 
for his community. 1 Corinthians 12 through 13, you guys have been, have been studying through 1 Corinthians and it's a letter to a divided church. They're fighting, they're arguing. It's getting ugly. It's a corrective letter. Um, and he begins in, in 12, 1, he says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. In verse four, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them all. When you become a follower of Jesus, he like throws down these spiritual gifts on you. And no two people are the same in the specific gifts that they've been given. Like everybody's got these unique gifts, but it's the same God who gives these different gifts. And in verse seven, he says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So the point of the gift that God has given you is not just to benefit you. It's to benefit everyone. It's to cause the people around you to flourish. And he gives an illustration in verse 12. He says, he says, okay, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Just as the body, the human body, though one, it has many parts, but all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ. It's the same way. Your body, it's just like it is with the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay, there's three points tonight. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God's vision for his community, number one, diversity. God has a vision for his community, and it involves, number one, diversity. Look at what Paul is saying here. In, in his culture there, he lists these. They're Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, in Galatians 3, he adds male, female, that category. And, and basically what he's saying is, look at all of the factors that divide humans. Race, social status, sex. Okay, those external things that often give people their meaning and sense of identity. So in his time about maybe 40 to 50% 50, uh, 40 to 50% of the population were actually slaves uh, in, in uh, ancient Rome. And there was a ton of racial hatred between uh, Jews and Gentiles. And he, he lists those things. And what, what Paul is saying here is, he's like, hey, listen, um, in the church, we don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Those distinctions go away in Christ. Um, there's neither slave nor free. Like your socioeconomic status doesn't matter when you step into the body of Christ. Male or female, th those things that often give you significance are non-factors. So, so think about God's community. It is, it's God's desire for his community. It's to be multiracial multi-socioeconomic, multi-generational. God, in, in the church, we don't care if you came in as a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, what your you know, political affiliation, we don't care if you're African, European, Asian, Arabic, um, introvert, extrovert, engineer, 
um, writer, all of those things uh, doesn't really matter in here. Um, in fact, actually, we think it's pretty cool that there is diversity. Like, we never want to be just a homogenous group where it's like, Saul Company is just like, we're only like math majors. We're only like graphic design, or we're only this political persuasion. Like, we are a bunch of like very different people that come together, and God's like, that's exactly how I want it to be. Um, because the more diverse we are, the more we reflect the one God that made us all so different, and it's beautiful. There was a um, 50 year anniversary for, um, they were, uh, we were reflecting on the assassination of Martin Luther King. Um, I think it was last year, it was, it was 50 years, um, April 4th. And there was a, um, uh, an article and this, this mom was asked the question from her daughter. She said, mom, why is that person a different color? And the mom said, we were all made in God's image for God's glory. And one skin color was not sufficient to reflect God's glory. And so when you, when you isn't, that, isn't that cool? Like, I, I think that was written. I don't actually think parents ever say things that well and articulate. I always think of cool things to say afterwards. I don't know if the mom actually said that, but she was writing as though she did. Um, but it's a really cool thought, right? It's true. Like one race was not enough to reflect the beauty of God. And so think about what we're doing here, like the differences that we all have in personality types and all those things. Like there's beauty in that. And that's, God did that on purpose. Now, the second thing that happens in the body is in this illustration that he gives in chapter 12. It's diversity, but it's unity. So point number two, God's vision for his community is number two, unity. Look at verse 24. It says, God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Okay, let me explain what he's saying. Okay, technically, your body is like a million different things, right? I mean, you've got cells, limbs, organs, eyes, ears, nose, like fingernails. Like those are all like a million different things but you never think of your body as a million different things. You always think of your body as one thing. Every part is significant, but every part is working together to do one thing. In verse 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And what he's saying is, there's a sense in which you are significant because Without you, the body can't function. Isn't that cool? Like, if you didn't show up tonight, if you are not a part of the body, like, we are not whole. If you're not functioning, we are not functioning. Conversely, there's another sense in which your significance comes from what you're a part of. 
you are nothing without everyone else here. And that's how it is with your body, right? Your fingernail does no good unless it's like attached to your finger. Your heart does no good if it's just laying on the ground. It's got to be like every part has to be together and every part is significant. Do you, do you understand the, the illustration he's given? Verse 22, he says, okay, listen, this is, this is so important. He says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Let me explain what he just said. I'm gonna try to explain this in English because some of you are lost. Like, um, what, what's he saying? I, I, I lost it there. Here it is. Some of you feel insecure because the people around you are so gifted, right? Oh man, those, those gals up there, they can sing so well. I wish I could sing like that. Or I wish I was, someone walks in and you're like, oh, they are so outgoing. Like I come into big groups, I'm nervous. I don't even want to be here. I don't know who to sit with, all that stuff. Like this is, I hope they don't do meet and greet for very long. Just get the next song going. And other people are like high-fiving. And you look around and you're like, oh, I'm not like them. But here's what Paul says. It's the less significant parts of the body that are actually more important and are given greater honor. He says that. That's crazy. Think, I want you to think about it this way in terms of your own body. Okay, imagine this conversation that happens between the parts of your body, okay? Um, let's say my hair could talk tonight. And here's what's, let me get you into the inside the head of my hair. It's saying, it's like, all right, my hair is like, dude, I'm so, like, I'm visible. Like, everyone can see me tonight. I'm like, I'm having a good hair day. It's, you know, the hair, I just, my wife just cut my hair before I came tonight. And, and like, I'm looking pretty good, a little balding, some power alleys, but like still, I've still got it, um, dude. And you know what? Mark would be nothing without me. And you know what? A good hair day is a good day. And my colon, my colon inside, hears, overhears what the hair is saying. And so my colon is like, oh yeah? We'll see how important you are, hair. And all of a sudden I start getting cramps and like, I feel some, some diarrhea coming on. And, and all of a sudden the colon's like, I guess we didn't have such a good day, did we, hair? Right, and starts talking back to the hair. Listen, if your hair's feeling good, but your colon isn't, you're not good. You're just not good. I mean, having a bad hair day can ruin your day but having a bad colon day can like ruin your life. You know what I mean? And so what Paul's saying here is the parts of the body that seem insignificant
insignificant because they're less visible are the parts that are more important. It's crazy. Like, if you're an introvert, we need you. Because you know what you do that extroverts don't do sometimes? You think before you talk. We need people that think and use their brains. And like some of uh, my introverted friends are like the deepest wells. Like they're, I can't even see the bottom of their well that they're drawn from. And they, they write these amazing books and songs and all these like, and, and just do amazing things. Um, it's crazy. Um, one of my children, a couple of my children actually really struggle with school. And many of you are teachers um, are going to be teachers, and, and they have dyslexia, very severe dyslexia, and, and they have a hard time. And my son, um, he, he struggles with school. Um, long story, but he actually is, there's this thing about people with dyslexia that often makes them actually really good um, CEOs, leaders of businesses, entrepreneurs, and uh, like it, it's crazy, like 30% of CEOs have dyslexia. Also, 40% of the prison population has dyslexia. It's a, it's a crazy thing, right? The difference often is families, and we'll get to this later, but needing someone to believe in them. But um, the point here is that somebody that thinks they're not important because they're not good in school is actually like super important to the world and to the body of Christ. So you may be struggling with um, you may be the hare and thinking, I'm pretty sweet. And God's like, eh, just because people can see you doing your thing. What really matters is um, there's a lot of people here and every pe person um, should be honored, especially the parts that seem to lack it. Verse 27, so he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Every person here is critical to the life of the body. And if you think that's not true, um, you, you just go like, um, try to rip your fingernail off, right? <laughs> and be like, okay, that's pretty important, right? Every single part of your body. I never knew like a thumb was so critical to the body. I mean, you know that, but you just take it for granted. My sister, um, she was in California and one of her friends uh, was they were water skiing and the rope actually got wound around their thumb and the boat took off and her, his thumb like was like, yeah, popped off. <laughs> and anyway, went to, the, went to the hospital and the doctor's like, well, we could put your big toe on your thumb. And he's like, I'm not doing that. And the doctor's like, well, think about it. You'll probably be back in a few days. Uh, a few days later, he came back and they sewed his big, to big toe onto his hand because, uh, as it turns out, like your thumb is very important. Do, do you, okay, that's, that's like such a, like, I don't know if I should have told that story, but um, <laughs> here's the point, you guys. I'm, I'm like banging this point home. Do you understand? God's vision for his community is diversity, many different kinds of people that are bound together in one in Christ. That's the first part of the message that I want you to get. Now we turn a corner and we go to chapter 13. And here's what brings it all together. 
Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. <clears throat> Excuse me, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The health of the body depends on this third thing, God's vision for his community, we said it, uh, diversity, unity, and number three, love. If we don't have a love, we die. And he begins, and I'm just gonna go through this rapid fire. So I'm gonna like, I'm gonna unscrew the fire hydrant and just good luck getting a drink because we're just gonna run through these, all right? Here it is. Love is patient, number one. Love is patient. The Greek word here is, it means to suffer a long time. Love suffers for a long time. Love is patient. Do you wanna preserve the unity of the body? Here's what you should do. Next time you are super angry and you're about to get on social media and you're about to go off on a Twitter rant, you're about to, you've got like 20 hashtags and you are passionate, and you are just ready to tell the world what you think about this problem, or you are in a conflict with a friend, and you've got this long text going, and you're just, it's flowing out, right? And it's just, oh yeah, I'm gonna get them, and, and uh, it's Instagram. You're gonna do a jab like at like some friends by kind of a passive-aggressive picture, and you've got comments and all this stuff. And, you're typing that. Here's what you do. If you want to preserve, if you care about the unity of the body of Christ, here's what you do. Wait about five minutes. Look at it, reread it. If it's something you really feel passionate about, maybe even like send it, like have a, have a, a parent or a friend like look at it and say, hey, what do you think about this? Like I know that I'm really passionate and emotional right now, um, what do you think? And just wait, okay? And then click send or then click delete. But love is patient. Love doesn't just quick. Go on these, these rants and rages, it's like, it's, it's patient. It says love is kind. Love is kind. Let me ask you a question. How do you treat people who disagree with you? Would your enemies describe you as kind? Think about uh, Luke 6 where it says God Jesus is telling, love your enemies. I want you to lend to people who steal from you. Bless those who persecute you. And he says, he says, be like God. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. 
people that are ungrateful to you, that are just wicked people, like what do they say about you? Would they describe you as a kind person? Number three, he says, love does not envy. This is the idea of jealousy. Love is not jealous in the sense that it's like, jealousy says, I want what you have. You know, the enemy of love is comparison. The enemy of love is, and social media feeds this. It's like, oh man, I want your, um, I want your vacation and I want your boyfriend or girlfriend or I want your life. I want your parents. I want your uh, everything. Like we just constantly like, it's a, it's a like comparison machine, right? And so we look in, and it says love is not, doesn't envy. It doesn't, I don't want what you have. Love wants what you already have. Like you look at your closet and you're like, I want all the clothes that I already have. That's what love is. Uh, it does not boast. It's not bragging. Uh, it's likely in the context here um, that it's likely that the, the audience was like kind of making fun of the apostle Paul and like, puffing themselves up like, oh, Paul, you know, he was, yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of intellectual, but, but man, have you ever got, heard the guy speak? He's a terrible speaker. Um, man, the guy is boring, uh, long-winded. He preached the guy to death. The guy died, Eutychus, uh, fell out of a window and died. I mean, this guy is lame. He's, he's bad. And, you know, and they're kind of puffing themselves up. Paul says, that's not, that's not the way we are. Um, let me ask you a question. H how do you guys talk about Salt Company on campus? How do you talk about other ministries on campus? When you are talking about other ministries, are you speaking well of them? Do people on campus think Salt Company, yeah, they're just, they're kind of proud. They think that they've got the best thing going on campus. Love is not proud. It's, it, it does not boast. And then it says it is not proud. This literally, it's, it's like it's not puffed up. And, and this is the person who walks into the room with the need to matter. You know those people? It's like they walk in the room and they need to be noticed. They need, it's the person in the connection group that dominates with talking, um, always one-upping someone, always trying to, yeah, you know someone famous, but I know someone more famous, or it's like, you have this, I have this, and always one-upping. Another way to, for love to be proud, it's not the one-upping, but it's always one-downing. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, I have a lot of homework. Oh dude, well my, I haven't even gotten, a, if I, I had no time to eat, I mean, I'm just like one downing you and it's like more the self-pity and self-pity is pride in the heart of the weak person, like drawing attention to themselves in a different way. It's like than the proud person, but, but that's not love. Verse five, he keeps, he keeps this thing going. He's like, love does not dishonor others. It's, uh, he's saying here, it doesn't behave shamefully. Love is holy. It's not a shady lifestyle. Love is not like shacking up with your boyfriend and girlfriend and we just kind of cohabitate, live together and do all this stuff. And, you know, just, just kind of a shady 
Like, ah, I don't know if that's a good idea. It's not, this is what Paul's saying. It's, it's holy. He says it's not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. And if you go um, right before this, you guys may have studied chapter 10 about, remember when Paul's talking about food, like what you eat or drink? And he's saying, hey, listen, I so care about the body of Christ and the people around me that even if it means eating or drinking a different food or beverage, like I'm down for it. If I'm hanging out with you and I'm, I'm 21 and I enjoy um, a good, you know, drink and uh, I'm, you know, instead of, you know, ordering off the whiskey menu, give me an old fashioned, you know, I'm hanging out with you and I'm saying, I care about you. And I know that you're just coming out of this addiction to alcohol. And for the sake of like, I care about you so much. I don't wanna do anything that could in any way like tear you down or take you back into your old lifestyle. So instead of the old fashioned, I'm going for a LaCroix. Can we talk about LaCroix? Can we just, can we just have an open conversation about LaCroix? How many of you guys drink LaCroix? Any, like a few people? Um, it just, I don't know if this is what makes Cedar Falls different. Um, it, in Iowa City, like everybody drinks LaCroix. Everybody. And I'm like, what is this stuff? I mean, it's carbonated water. You know when you like go to get some Sprite or something and like the sugar doesn't go in and you're drinking the carbonation? That's LaCroix. It's like somebody described LaCroix as like you're drinking carbonated water and somebody yells the name of a fruit from the other room. <laughs> You're like, you're drinking this stuff and it's like, it's like kiwi strawberry. And you're like, it kind of does taste like kiwi strawberry. <laughs> and you could be drinking the same, it's like mango. You're like, it's mango. I, I think that's what it is. All right. In love, you'll drink LaCroix if it means it, right? This is what Paul's saying. It's like, it's not self-seeking even down to what you eat and drink. He goes on, it's not easily angered. Here's a question. How hard is it to get you angry? It keeps no record of wrongs. It's not keeping score. It's not, oh, you always or you never. Or not. It's, no, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. We live in a culture where love means not just to approve all of my behavior, but to applaud all of my behavior. It's not enough for you to tolerate me. You have to applaud me for my life choices and who I am. That's not Christian community. In this Christian community, like you're gonna have to say hard things like, hey, you're going out with this person and here's some things I've observed. Like, I think it's hurting you. Like you've withdrawn from us. Like when you're going out with these people, like I think you're hurting yourself. And that relationship, uh, love doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. Verse seven, it always protects always trusts, always hopes.
This always trust doesn't mean that you always believe the best about everyone and you're ignorant and, and, well, Hitler was a good guy. I mean, he had great intentions and you're like, he didn't do anything wrong. You're just like, it doesn't mean you're like blind and ignorant about the reality about people. What it means is, I think he's saying that you, you never stop giving up on people. You never stop believing that God is able Are you that kind of friend for the people around you? Are you the friend that always hopes? Listen, um, we've we've had some um, like mental illness in our family. And here's what I've learned about that sickness. You know what? People that struggle with mental illness need, they need somebody to hope for them. They need someone to sit and weep with them. They need somebody to believe that God is able to help them. Someone in your life needs you to hope for them. And some of you in this room need somebody to have hope for you tonight. Love always perseveres. Some of you have experienced those terrible words from a parent your mom and I are getting a divorce. Your dad and I are getting a divorce. We're not in love anymore. And Paul would say, uh, that, that's not Christian love. Somebody who understands what love is always perseveres. And we see these 15 rapid fire verbs. And what Paul's saying is, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is not how you feel. Love is what you do. It's who you are. It's not something you fall into. It's a behavior. It's a decision. So let's come back to to where we began with YouTube and these micro communities that they've created and they're feeling a need of the need to belong. Um, Here's the problem with virtual community. In a virtual community, you get all of the benefits without any of the responsibilities, right? I can be a part of a tribe of people that all agree with me, all affirm me, all approve me. And if somebody disagrees with me and somebody leaves a comment that I don't like, I can delete them, I can block them, I don't have to deal with them, I don't have to persevere with them, I don't have to trust them, I don't have to hope for them. I can just be in this little homogenous group of people that affirms me and everything that I do. And guess what happens? The world has done just that and we've ended up in a bunch of different tribes that just get in big fights. And the vision that God has for his community is different because it's a bunch of crazy 
beautiful, different people that have come together to be one body that loves one another. So let me ask you the question, are you a part of God's community, the church? Not do you come to Salt Company, but are you a part of the body of Christ? Do you, are you a part of Candeo Church? Are you a part of another church body in the community? Are you involved in serving and in Candeo Kids or whatever you call it and helping with youth and like a part of the body of Christ? Are you serving, giving, loving? Like you matter to this church. No matter how insignificant you think you are, God has given you special honor. And if, if your answer is, uh, not, I don't know if I am. Step number one to stepping into God's community is not becoming this kind of person. It's not becoming a loving person. Step number one is receiving the love of God. The only way you're gonna love God is because he first loved you. And one way to go back into worship, I was just thinking about this, is, is put your name in the blanks. Like, Remember, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, not, it's not rude, not self-seeking. Just put your name in there. Like, Mark is kind. Mark is patient, Mark is kind. He does not boast, he's not rude, and pretty quickly you get humbled because you realize putting my name in there reminds me how much I need Jesus Christ because he's he is all of these things. And if you don't know him, I hope you will tonight. Let's, let's pray. Tonight, um, that, those 15 verbs all describe who Jesus is. And if you, don't, if you don't know Jesus, I wanna introduce you to him tonight. He demonstrated his love for you in this. This is how he did it. While you were yet a sinner, he died for you. Jesus Christ, um, he created you. He loves you. He died for you. He conquered death for you. And he invites you to be a part of his family, his community. Will you come tonight? Like the more different you feel tonight from everyone else around you, the more we want you here. You belong here. And if you decide to not come back next week, like we're not who we're supposed to be without you. But also like you need the people around you. looking around the room right now, just with your head bowed, your eyes are closed. Um, I just, 
I just feel like some of you um, tonight need to know that Jesus has hope for you. Jesus is the one who will, he refuses to give up on you. Remember when Peter was gonna deny him three times and Jesus says, hey, don't worry, Peter, I prayed for you. Like Jesus is praying for you right now. Isn't that crazy? He loves you so much. He's hilarious. He's like, he's all these things. Like when you mess up, he's patient. When you say mean things, he's kind to you. He listens to you. He loves you. That's Jesus. As we worship, let's, let's turn our eyes to him and just let him love you. Let him find you as we worship.